Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range. Or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then, when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, this is Monica Packer, and you're listening to About Progress, where we are about progress made practical. If I were to sum up 2023 in one word, that word would be overwhelm. This year has been full of so many joyful moments and huge blessings, but adding a fifth child to our family has stretched me more than I ever expected it to, and I would consider myself a realist, especially when it comes to having a newborn. Now, while I haven't loved this feeling of overwhelm, I'm honestly so proud of how I moved through it all, both mentally and practically, not because I did it anywhere close to perfectly, but because I feel that all the work I've done the last few years helped me cope with this chronic overwhelm feeling better than I would have and have in the past. Instead of shame and resentment, I felt more compassion alongside the frustration and anxiety that overwhelm can bring most certainly, but I felt that I was better able to sort through what was on my plate and to pare things down to baselines and remove other areas of my life altogether as much as that was challenging for me to do. I know that this is a time of year where many of us are trudging through that overwhelm and this coupled with the turmoil of the greater world and the many moving parts of our intimate world 
can often lead us to staying stuck in the overwhelm rather than navigating it well. So to help, I invited Stacy Toth to discuss overwhelm in the special bonus episode. You've likely heard Stacy's voice before because we have aired her trailer for her podcast, The Whole View, at the end of many of our own episodes. Stacy and I are both part of the Cloud 10 Network, and her show is one that I picked out of the lineup when I was exploring what fellow Cloud 10 podcasts I wanted to personally listen to. And as I was listening to her show, I knew we had to have her on about progress. What you will hear today is actually the second half of a recording Stacy and I did together. We did a little trade. So on About Progress today, you'll hear Stacy teach us how to improve and access your mental coping skills when you're overwhelmed. Stacy will cover the signs of overwhelm you may be ignoring, starting with the surprisingly physiological signs, and she'll also share some tools you can access to better move through overwhelm mentally. And surprisingly, also, many of those are physiological in nature too. While this episode is meaningful and meaty enough to stand on its own, I do recommend pairing it with the first half of our conversation that is also airing today on Stacy's podcast, The Whole View. On that episode, you'll hear my tips on what to do practically and tactically with overwhelm, including how I personally sort through all the priorities when I'm feeling overwhelmed and choose what to do with them. It's okay to listen to this episode first, though, because as you'll hear Stacy and I share, the mental side of this battle is at least half the work. Stacy Toth is a certified problem solver, inclusive educator, syndicated podcast host, and author of three international best-selling books. For over 13 years, she has focused her work around educating the public on non-toxic living inside and out. Prior to leaving her 20-year career in federal regulation, she was a, wait for it, perfectionist with a distorted sense of self-worth, seeking approval from others. Sounds familiar, right? It was walking away from that VP executive position in order to pursue turning her passion into her work that allowed Stacy the flexibility to become a licensed treatment foster parent, which changed her life. And we're lucky to hear more about that today. Before we do, first, a quick break for our sponsors. Have you heard a lot about the do something list on this podcast and yet have found it hard to make your own? Or maybe you've tried in the past, but there just was something a little off about it that didn't make it as life-changing as it was for me and has been for many women in our community. I'm going to tell you right now that I am very excited to change how this list is working for you or to help you make the first list you've ever made. And I'm doing it all for free mid-January. I'm hosting a free and live Do Something List workshop. You can sign up right now so that way you do not miss it by going to aboutprogress.com slash DSL workshop. That link is really important because another DSL will take you to past workshops, which were helpful, but each year I tweak and I make them better and I make the guides better and it just gets better every single year. So to sign up for our DSL workshop that will take place mid-January, again, go to aboutprogress.com slash DSL workshop. I can't wait to see you there. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Stacey Toff, welcome to About Progress. So we'll, we'll just be transparent here and say this is actually part two of a larger conversation that Stacey and I have been having. We started on her show, The Whole View, which you probably heard because it's been a great trailer that has been dropped into many of the ends of our episodes. And you're like, wait, Stacey Toss, like I recognize that voice. And it's because of that. And if you like About Progress, you're going to also love the whole view. We have a lot in common. We have a lot of interests in common. Our communities are really similar. But what I love is that we have our own personal way of talking about similar things. And I would say Stacey has a beautiful and curiosity-driven way of getting to the heart of why things matter, as well as the science behind it, which is super important. So in part one of our conversation, I shared more of the practical side of how we deal with overwhelm. But I said this on your part, we have to say it here, 50 to 80% of the battle is mental. And that's what we're going to dig in together with you really sharing more about this mental aspect, how to better cope with overwhelm in general. But let's start, Stacy, by talking about people not realizing they're overwhelmed. <laughs> And it happens to them and suddenly they're like, I'm overwhelmed. And it's like 10 out of 10, but it's been happening and building up for a long time. So what can they look for? What signs can they pay attention to, to even know overwhelm is building up and what it looks like and feels like, not just mentally, but also strangely in our bodies? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that's hard about that is that it looks different for everybody because how we manifest our own feelings and overwhelm do actually play into our physical self, but in different ways. So we have a nervous system for a reason. It can manifest in telling us, for example, oh, we're anxious to speak on stage. We get butterflies in our stomach. That is a physical thing where your mental health is connected to your physical health. And it happens in a lot of different ways that we might not be fully aware of. And so when it comes to stress, which overwhelm is a type of stress, burnout is a type of stress, it comes from feeling like you have too much on your plate and your body kind of holding that tension and mm. holding that stress in a way that can cause, gosh, for me, my jaw, like I grind mm -hmm. my teeth and my jaw gets super tight which results in things like headaches and tight shoulders. Like it, it's all tied in. Um, for other people, it might be digestive. It might be lack of sleep because you're laying in bed feeling, oh my gosh, I have all these things that I need to do that I didn't get to today. And then lack of sleep is like this, what I call a snowball of badness, right? Where if you don't get enough sleep, then it's impossible to regulate your emotions the following day. 
And so it's just like this next bad thing, next bad thing um, that's really difficult to stop. And so the research is really, really clear when it comes to stress in our bodies as being one of the absolute worst things for us. I've spent decades, you know, looking at every single morsel of food that I put into my body to try to reduce my inflammation and try to improve my health and all the supplements and all the things. And one of the most big things in my life that I really wasn't tackling was the stress, was the overwhelm, Mm -hmm. was the trying to be a perfectionist. And so I think for so many people, it's easier to be like, oh, I have a headache. I'm going to take a pill or, oh, I have this digestive problem. I'm going to try to change how I'm eating. But it might actually be some self-examination that needs to kind of, as you talked about in part one, pause and examine, am I overwhelmed? How am I overwhelmed? And the digestive complications become easier for your body to process when it's not in a state of flight, fright, freeze right? When we can let our body process things fully and not feeling like, you know, we're being chased by a tiger, which sometimes, frankly, doing my taxes feels like. So Uh (laughs) Uh, a lot that happens in your body for sure. (laughs) I think it's so fascinating to kind of pinpoint what does that look like for me when that overwhelm is creeping up, meaning it's like a perpetual state of stress, Mm-hmm. both mentally and physically, but what does that look like? Because it is so individual. And it's so fascinating to me that a lot of times in our process of ignoring the overwhelm, we get more overwhelmed mm-hmm. because we're trying to deal with the side effects of overwhelm. And that just is adding more to the plate. So if you find yourself, you know, dissociating a lot, if you find yourself um, having, uh, I don't know if you wear like a a ring or a watch device of some kind that monitors your blood pressure, your heart rate, anything like that. If you find that you have a high heart rate at a moment where that's not normal, examine what's happening in that moment. For me, I learned that I have anxiety from certain types of television shows. And so my heart rate would spike while I was like watching something and I'd be like, oh, that's, that's not good. Um, So you just kind of have to be aware of some of these other things. Like I said, jaw tension, you can feel things physically, but they manifest in a lot of different ways. Yeah. I think for me, I kind of get in the fight mode where I just, Mm -hmm. it's almost like fight and flight combined where I'm like almost literally running around the house, like just trying to like panic, get things done. And, and you know, that, that alone to me is like, what? Yeah. That's just, that's a big sign. Time to like take a step back and try to work through this. So a lot of times I feel like this overwhelm is a sign of bigger changes that need to happen, both on the outside, but also on the inside. And I would love to start with you and just getting kind of a toolkit of sorts for them to start with that mental side. Like, so how do I sort through what's going on in my head and in my life that is contributing to this perpetual state of stress? Well, I think as it relates to kind of like a mental toolkit, one of the things that is hugely backed by research is this idea of meditation. And in meditation, we can often figure out a lot of these things that are hard for us mentally because we're go, go, go all the time. 
And so I always thought that meditation meant like, oh, I needed to actually like physically sit somewhere, crisscross applesauce, close my eyes, be quiet mm-hmm. and try to let my mind wander. Blank. Okay. My mind does not work that way. It's absolutely <laughs> that kind of meditation does not work for me. It might you work can't for clear some... your mind completely. No, absolutely okay. not. And all that does is like stress me out more that then I'm not doing what I should be doing and my brain isn't working how it's supposed to be working. And like, yeah, all the things in that moment are not good. But what I can do is turn off my phone, my music, my podcast, the news, anything mm-hmm. that I might listen to while I'm brushing my teeth and taking a shower and just really allow myself to sit in my thoughts quietly. Like uh-huh. what? What is what am I feeling in those moments when I'm experiencing that? If I go on a walk and I don't listen to a podcast or don't take meetings or do whatever, and I just literally go on my walk, where does my brain go? What does it tell me in those moments? And I think that is where then you can take some of your practical tips of writing down the list and doing whatever. But for me and for a lot of the people that I talk to, the mental side has to come from a place of being rested mm-hmm. and being able to clear your mind enough to identify those things that are at the forefront. And maybe either you don't want them to be at the forefront or you're not actually doing that you want to prioritize. And that's why it's coming to the forefront. And so a lot of people have their best ideas in the shower and that's why because your brain is finally able to kind of do some of that stuff. And so it's about creating space for yourself in those moments instead of feeling like, oh, I'm not doing something I should be doing in this moment. Like giving yourself space to say, oh, this is my, like when I get in the shower, I'm like, oh, I'm getting in the great ideas box. And this is where I'm going to have my mental clarity and all the good things are going to happen when I get in the shower. I don't wash my hair, but like once or twice a week. And so it feels very special when I get in the shower, I like do my long routine and get in there and like fully allow my brain to wander. Yeah. So it's more about creating a meditative environment, which to me feels so much more doable than trying to learn a whole new practice, create a new routine and a habit. It's, It's just more, how can I do what I already do, but create a meditative environment out of it? which I adore and is why I can now see like why running, which is not something I can do anymore, but walking, mm-hmm. that's that for me. It's and I think that. a lot of people create this without realizing it. So uh-huh. dissociation is something that is a coping skill that can be maladaptive, meaning it's not a great result, but keeps people safe in kind of a traumatized environment. Or it can actually provide this space for meditation. And I learned through kind of my own evaluation of where was I finding the space to give myself time to calm and to think is that I do a lot of dissociation when I'm like watching TV, right? So I'll, I have a ceiling fan in that room and I'll kind of like stare at the ceiling fan and just I don't know where my brain goes. I don't know what has happened. And suddenly I'll be like, gosh, what just happened on the show for the last five minutes? I have no idea. My brain just kind of like checked out. And a lot of people do that when they're driving too, right? Like when you're when you're overwhelmed, you've had a really tough day at work and you're driving home and or like if you're taking your kid home from 
school and you've driven that same route a billion times before, your brain literally dissociates and you're on autopilot on your way home and you get home. You're like, gosh, I don't even know what just happened. How did I get home? I don't remember making that turn or doing whatever. That's your brain literally saying you are experiencing overwhelm. I'm going to shut down all the non-necessary um, organs and all the things and allow you to kind of just like get by to the bare minimum. Let's talk more about like uh, completing the stress response cycle. Um, and I mean, I know we're talking about the mental coping of overwhelm, but so much of what you have learned in your own training and and as a mom is using the body to help with that. Um, so thank you for the mental environment part. But what about like what can they do to complete the stress response cycle so they get to that place of being able to then think through things more logically? And coming from like a more stable sense of self than that frenetic kind of place. Yeah, I think one of the best things to do is to educate yourself. And for me, I have neurodiverse teenagers, one of whom is a severely traumatized teenager whom we're adopting that, you know, you think about the worst things that could happen to a child, like all of them have happened to this poor child. and watching them they're non-binary so they're it's not two of them it's their pronouns are they them it's confusing i recognize but when they are going through some of these experiences it's helped me learn watching someone go through it and being on the outside to realize what was happening to me when it was my stress cycle and so like you i get very high energy. I would also get really moody. Like I would find myself like suddenly snapping at people and being like, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Like, why am I being so aggressive about whatever this problem is? It's not really a problem. And so part of that involves needing to allow your body to fully go through this process as it relates to your nervous system, where if you do not have closure, you get stuck at the bottom of the ladder is kind of where we talk about it, right? Where if you're if you're trying to push through, you're constantly like climbing the ladder, kind of sliding down, climbing the ladder, yeah. sliding down versus allowing yourself to kind of take a pause. And in my case, that could be having a conversation. I do deep breathing exercises with the kids a lot. I know you mentioned this in our earlier conversation, but there there is no amount where I talk about this that we could ever be sufficient in the power of breath. It actually calms your nervous system. So when I have a child who's telling me that they're feeling really nervous or, you know, whatever might be happening, one of the first things that I do is I kind of like, they can have a calming touch. You can do all these kinds of things, but Getting into a four by four breathing where you're doing a deep inhale, a pause for four, and then a long exhale, and we do three to four cycles of that can physically change how the body is processing emotions and then is able to function. So we see long term benefits from 
you know, improved heart, um, heart rate, as well as reduced heart disease when people are managing their stress from that stuff. And I think when we're looking at it from a practical day-to-day perspective, if we as parents or, you know, as humans in general, um, I also wish that I learned to do this when I was an executive in an office, right? When I feel overwhelmed, if I'm able to just kind of like pause and do four by four breathing and tell myself like, this is not the end of the world. Like I can handle the situation or what, you know, whatever it is that you need to kind of tell yourself in those moments, you're able to then move forward and handle them in a much more productive way to kind of no longer be operating in that stressed phase. Your body gets in better control and you're in control of your emotions instead of your emotions in control of you. And it feels so silly to say that something as simple as like four by four breathing, but there's a lot of other techniques that you can use. You can put like ice in your palm of your hands. You can, um, gosh, there's, I mean, so many different things. I know um, we hold hands, right? So if you have someone with you and they recognize that it's happening, they can hold your hand and kind of like do some pulse squeezing to kind of like bring you into the present and to be able to kind of like calm that cycle down. Mm-hmm. I think we both know this with some of our special needs kiddos too, but like, you know, mm-hmm. pushing, pulling, squeezing, sometimes just going for a, an angry run or an angry walk or whatever it is you need to do physically really can help you come to a place of that calm in your mind too, so that you can then work through it more mentally. And that's where I want to ask you then, what can we do? Mentally, once we are in that place where we're more in the parasympathetic part of our nervous system, we're a little bit more calm, but we're still in a place of overwhelm. There's still a lot to do, and we don't have the time, energy, or money to do all those things. What can we do mentally to work through it and better cope with it? Well, I think one of the things that needs to happen is prioritizing in that moment what is most important. So, if it is with our kiddos, you know, a special needs kid. For me, the absolute priority is not anything else but helping that child feel safe, secure, Mm -hmm. attached, all the things that are really important. And I think where I was years ago, that was not my priority, right? My priority was like, oh, in order to keep my kids safe, I need to have X job. I need to make X money. I need to do, you know, these kinds of activities. And you know, what I have learned through a lot of the research and the training that I've taken is that what people want more than anything in life, especially children, is to have a sense of security with the person that they trust. And that security, I think we as adults feel like we get overwhelmed with the bills that need to be paid and the things that need to be done and the chores that need to be done and all those kinds of things. But like, Honestly, most people don't need all of those things. What they need is 10 minutes with you at a dinner table where you give them your attention. And so for me, when it comes to what do I do in those moments, I absolutely prioritize the thing that I need to focus on. And so if it is my child, it is that. If I feel like I'm escalating and I'm getting out of control, one of the first things that I need to do is decide where that's going to happen. If I'm going to be able to 
take deep breaths and get in control and then acknowledge to the people around me, thank you for being patient and supporting me through that. I'm sorry I wasn't my best self. Then I'm modeling something that I want my children to learn how to do and to know that they're not going to be perfect either. But you can still acknowledge that and thank the people for their their time or their support or whatever it was, as we all would need. And so I think that when we are in consideration of how to proceed in those moments, it really needs to be not just about what do I need in this moment, but also what impression am I giving to those around me? Um, You mentioned early on in our discussion that relationships get harmed by perfectionism. And I would argue that this is a place where, you know, relationships really can be harmed because if we come from a place of, I'm going to push through, I'm going to be fine, I'm going to do it, right? And like this volatility and anger and these things build up, that feels really scary for a lot of people around you who get intimidated rather than being like, wow, I don't know what just happened. That was Mm -hmm. not my best self. And I am working on that. Thank you for your compassion and understanding with me in that moment. Like these are very different things. And so that message has to get through to our brain. Like we have to be in a place where we understand what message is being shared to ourselves and to others. And I think it was Brene Brown that originally said, what is the story that we're telling ourselves? And that's something that I often talk with my kids and my peers about, right? As like, is that really the truth or is that the story that we're telling ourselves? And that's a really great question to ask when you're in those moments of overwhelm, frustration, stress, anything is like, am I really being judged or is that the story that I'm telling myself? Am I really a bad mom or is that the story I'm telling myself? Whatever this feeling that you might be having, just being able to kind of pause and ask yourself and to truly answer the question, that's not really about me. That's about this other person and what they're going through. And that's okay. I'm going to give them the space and hope that they come back and approach it differently with me. We want to behave that same way, right? We want to, when we aren't our best selves and something that was really about us comes out on someone else to be able to go back and say just that. Much more after a quick break for our sponsors. So they're working through, you know, completing the stress response cycle physically. They're working through finding a meditative environment to also help with that and getting a space where they can think through it better, including what's the story I'm telling myself? What's important? What really really matters for me? What matters within these relationships? Is there any other kind of language that you use to yourself to really work through something that's overwhelming in a moment? I think the biggest thing is to understand the difference between when you're overwhelmed in moments versus when you're in a chronic state of overwhelm. So when we're talking about like, what is the story I'm telling myself? I'm escalating my blood pressure, my heart rate's going up, right? Those are the moments where we're doing the four by four breathing and we're just asking people to have patience with us and we're doing the best that we can versus we have this like chronic state 
of overwhelm or stress. And that's where we're really finding those pockets of time for the meditative activities, for going to bed early on a consistent basis, for nourishing ourselves, for um, doing the things that bring joy, right? Like I love to watch reality television when I'm feeling overwhelmed because it brings me joy and I laugh and it's silly and it makes me feel better about my life. And I have long let go of the idea that I'm a trash person for watching trash TV. That's not what it is. I know that I'm a very intelligent person and that that's what I need in that moment. And that helps with the overall chronic overwhelm. And so I think being able to understand where you are in that phase, right? Because it's, it is not a moment in time that we become overwhelmed. Usually that is a escalation within a phase of overwhelm. And so being able to identify those escalations, being able to identify mood swings, these are the things that are going to help pull you out of the larger time period of the state that you're in. And the more that you do it, the more you can become aware, the more that you're asking for help, the more that you're having the messages of the story you're telling yourself, but also being able to have conversations with yourselves when you're not escalated is the important part. So if you've identified that you're in this, you know, chronic state, but that right now things feel okay and that feels great, being able to have a conversation with yourself and do some of the activities that you talk about on the practical side, like journaling and identifying when you're in that low escalation phase, right? When you're feeling pretty good about yourself, like you're able to accomplish something. You got through your shower that morning and you're like, yes, this is okay. Things are going well. That is the time to kind of like sit down, look at yourself in the mirror or journal or whatever and say some mantras to yourself about what you're capable of, but also what you've already done. Not just I can do X, Y, or Z, but also like I have done this before. I am already doing this. I am capable, but also I know that I'm capable because I have already done it. Or I have the supports that I need to be able to get through this, right? Like different kinds of things where you're able to, in those moments where you're lucid and competent and not feeling in that flight, fright, freeze state to say to yourself, Things are okay so that when you are in those seats, you can recall back those phrases that you've said to yourself and say, I have the supports that I need to get through this moment. I am capable. I've done this before. Because if you are confident with those, if you've created kind of that neural pathway in your brain that is reconfiguring to a path that you've created before that says, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't handle this. I, you know, it's too much, all these things, right? If that's the path that you've created, you need to recreate a path for your brain to go down a different way and to say, I can't do this because I already have done this. And those things, the more you say them, the more you do them, especially when you're non-escalated, the easier it will be to tap into them when you are. Just like any other neural pathway, right? It's something that can be forged deeper with time and and more experience and and practicing it. You talked more about the practical side. You referenced that. I want to reference them back to your show, The Whole View, to listen to part one, where I do more of the practical side of this. But this mental side is so, so important. 
So I want to end with you sharing, if you were to get on a soapbox and share about <laughs> your thoughts about the, the mental side of things, what would that be? This is something mm. that took me a long time to realize about my own perfectionism is that I was modeling something that I did not want my children to learn. Yet yeah. that's what I was teaching them by modeling it. Slow clap. Slow <laughs> clap that one. Yeah. Yes. My children are able to make a meal from start to scratch. And then another child unloads the dishes. Another child loads the dishes. And is it perfect? Of course not. Do I have to remind people? Of course. I live in a neurodiverse house. Someone unloads the dishwasher and they 80% it and I have to come behind them and be like, hey, you forgot. You got distracted when you were doing the silverware and went off and did whatever. Can you come back and do the glasses now? Uh And that is something that I before would take really like, nobody respects me. I have Mm -hmm. to do all of this. I might as well do it myself, blah, blah, blah. Like that mentality wasn't serving me. And I think that as some of those practical things happen, as you said, it's not about a toxic mindset of just telling yourself that everything is okay or it's okay to be positive or those kinds of things. But like it really was a lesson for me, myself, internal to learn that it was okay for somebody else to not be perfect and that I was actually creating a toxic environment by expecting them to be perfect and doing something the way I did it perfectly, which by the way, there is no such thing as perfect or perfectly. Like literally it does not exist because as soon as you achieve that, there's something else that needs to be done or something else that needs to be achieved or, you know, whatever it is in order to, you know, exceed perfectionism goals. Like it's never enough. I've been there. I've been a top executive by the time I was 30 years old. I made a great income. I did all these things that I thought were going to make me happy. And I evaluated my life and I was like, I am miserable. And do you know what I really want? Like when I put it on my list, it was like, what I really want is to be a foster mom, like, which totally came out of the blue for a lot of people in my life. But my mom's adopted and it's something that I always wanted to do my whole life. And I was like, I cannot do that currently, but my life structure does not support. And it took years for us to create a different life structure that would support that. But now I'm able to kind of look around at my life and at night, I am satisfied. I can sit on the sofa and not feel compelled to need to do 10 more things. Like I find that often when people are in this overwhelm burnout perspective, it's because they're trying to prove something either to themselves or to somebody else. And if you are seeking outside approval, you're never going to be satisfied because even if you get that outside approval, you aren't approving of yourself. And that is always going to eat at you. It is always going to drive you to want to do more and to need more approval because that approval that you received was only temporary or specific to that thing, or you only got it from one person and not this other person that you wanted. There's always something else. Whereas for me, what I truly deeply wanted was to be a foster mom. I wanted to help others and I wanted to provide the love that we had so much abundance of. We had so much resources and love that I wanted to share it. I was like, we have enough. We can share it with more people. And so now I'm able to kind of like sit down and look around at my life and be like, 
gosh, I'm so lucky. Gosh, this is wonderful. Gosh, I'm so grateful for everything that I have. Instead of feeling like, oh, I need to do this or oh, I need to do more. And those things certainly creep in still. But I think that, of course, not everybody's deep, like deep emotional desire is to be a foster parent. This is just an example of like, it was very, very different from where we were. We had three biological children. I worked full time. My husband stayed home and we transitioned to me being a work from home person, my husband working and my biological children getting on board with something and taking years of training and home studies. And, you know, like this was a, a really big commitment, but it was like when I did what you said and I put on the paper, like, what are the things that really matter to me? All of the things that I was doing and spending my time on did not matter to me. I wasn't making a difference in the world either. That was something that really mattered to me. And, you know, I had kind of gotten stuck into the cycle I was in. And I think that's also something that happens to a lot of us is that when we're young and we're like, okay, we're going to do this thing. And so we just start going down a path and then we feel like we're stuck on that path. And it, whether it's a midlife crisis, which I don't like the phrase of, I, I call it like a reawakening or whatever yeah. it may be, right? Like, I think mm -hmm. that there's a lot more positivity to this idea of kind of like reevaluating where you are in that phase in your life, but it can happen at any time. And so if you're feeling during the holidays, gosh, I'm overwhelmed by all the things that I need to do. Do you really need to host the holiday? Like, I did not really need to host Thanksgiving. I did not need to prove to anybody that my house was nice or that it was clean or that I needed to show off. Um, I love being with family more than anything. What I really wanted yeah. to do was just be with family. And so if my dad was willing to host Thanksgiving and he could take on the burden of the clean house and we all did potluck style, it was a huge win for me. So, and I think the thing is, is if you've been a perfectionist or if you've historically done something people aren't volunteering to step in and do that mm. because they think you want to right you've been so, trained yeah you have to be willing to be vulnerable to let that guard yeah. down to say hey would someone else be open to doing whatever this year mm. instead or you know you don't even have to say but you could say it if you want to be open and vulnerable with your family which in my experience has been immensely helpful in it it sounds yeah. like, Monica, that's been the case for you as well, right? Uh -huh. And being able to say, I'm in a season of my life right now where I really can't take that on. I would love to spend the time with you. I would love to attend. I would love to whatever it is. I'm just not in a season of my life right now where I can take that on. I think people, my, in my experience, have a lot of respect for that. There is not a single person that I've ever said that to that I walked away feeling judged or shamed or mm -hmm. anything if they were emotionally healthy themselves. Yes. And that is what it's really about is especially for those of us that are parents is like modeling what I want my children to learn, which is creating some of those boundaries and expectations to have the ability to define the things that they want out of life so that they don't become overwhelmed in these sort of things. And to feeling okay, like my 18-year-old right now is in a season where he's doing self-discovery like he started college he decided academic college was not for him he's not wanting yet to commit to a really expensive culinary program he wants to be a chef um but 
there is not a local culinary school, which means that it's a real big expense to like move somewhere and go mm-hmm. and do this expensive thing if he's not 100% sure that what he really wants to do in life is only be a chef. And so currently he has a job, he's contributing to bills, and he's just waiting for life to happen. And it's like, it feels like a huge step forward for myself that I'm able to be like, good for him. Can you imagine if we all as teenagers Instead of being pressured at 12 years old to be like, I want to be a marine biologist. I want to be a doctor, a teacher. I don't know why those are, are veterinarian. Those are all the four jobs that we could all come up with, right? Um, instead of like expecting my young child to define what he's going to do for his life. And so many kids come out of college in debt and overwhelmed and burned out and all of these things to instead be like, take your time. I I would love to have you here. You contribute financially. You contribute to the chores. I'm happy to have you here as long as you need to be here. And maybe not everyone feels that way. But again, I had to put on my blinders as to societal expectations and the judgments yes. people might have. And I had to be like, this is actually what's best for him. And that's okay that he's taking that time and that I'm supporting him in that positive way. And I think that there's many things in all of our lives that we just have to, as you said, take that pause and do that. But also the grace and all of that stuff that comes into it becomes part of the story we tell ourselves that impacts our mental health. Like I said, slow clap the, do I want my kids to live the life I'm living? And I'm not just saying that like circumstantially what it looks like on the outside, but who we are as people. And that's the thing I kind of, hope people take away the most from just this practical side of the conversation is it's less about what you actually choose to do and what you still prioritize for yourself or let go of. Sometimes even just the choosing is what makes the biggest difference is I have chosen this and yes, I still have a lot on my plate, but these are the things I am choosing that will shift a lot and how you go about those things, what you are willing to let go of as part of how you do them. but. Also, to me, it's more than choosing what I'm doing. It's choosing who I want to be. And, and that's the thing I can look back on the, this extremely overwhelming year. I mean, I could break it down more about like all why it was overwhelming. I don't think people need to hear it because they all know what it feels like to be in that, that space where you can't, there's so much to give to and there's so little to give from. The biggest thing I hope they can take away from it is almost lean into that season, not as a martyr, but more, what can I look back on and say, I am proud of the person I was through that really hard season. And I can, I can feel that like not my baby's about, about to turn 11 months in a, in a, a couple of weeks. Right. And I can look back and I'm like, I get the shivers when I think about like a year ago and even six months ago, like I'm just like, Oh, I don't want to go through that again ever. But I also like, I'm really proud of how I went through that, starting with how I really tried to navigate those comparison thoughts and the the sneaky perfectionist side of myself that I thought was gone, how I combated those thoughts with a lot of compassion and how I gave myself so much more grace than I ever would have even a couple years ago. And I am so proud of that. And I also know it won't be forever. And I'm, and I'm, 
I'm excited to spiral up, my friends. I'm excited to feel more capable and stronger, and I know it will come. Stacy, this conversation has been so incredible. I needed it, and I've been so excited to get to know my spirit sister in many ways, <laughs> spirit twin. Uh, so let's tell people where they should go in addition to the whole view. Where do you like them to be? They can find everything on my website, realeverything.com. So that will connect them to my weekly podcast, as you've mentioned, the whole view or um, my social accounts. I'm on Instagram because, you know, I'm an old mom. I'm not uh, <laughs> on TikTok. It actually overwhelms me. So I quit TikTok. I learned that Thank about myself. Yep. Um, but you can find me on Instagram at real Stacy Toth. And all of that is linked on my website, realeverything.com. We'll make sure to include it in our show notes as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. And uh, I hope listeners can feel our kinship. We have so many things in common, which we talk about on part one on the whole view. So um, it's a little creepy, honestly. It really is. And there's even more. Like, as we've been talking about that, too, that, too, that, too. Okay. I think we got it. This is great. I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick in the pants you need to grow. I'll now share the progress pointers. These are the notes I took so you don't have to. Number one, to better cope mentally with overwhelm, start with awareness. What does overwhelm feel like in your body and in your mind? And number two, some tools to cope. First, create a more meditative environment. Next is to complete the stress response cycle using your body. After that, give yourself space to think things through, including questioning the story you are telling yourself. And finally, both affirm and support yourself with helpful mantras. For far more on the practical end of how to cope with overwhelm, including the tactile and doable steps I take to work through overwhelm, go listen to The Whole View. Today, Stacy's airing part one of our full conversation on this topic. And as part of it, you're going to hear what I do to simplify, what to let go of, and what to prioritize when my biggest feeling is overwhelmed. I've had a lot of practice, especially this past, this past year. So again, that's at The Whole View, and you can search for that in the podcast app you are in right now, and you'll find it with Stacy Toth. I'm so glad that you took the time to listen, and I really hope this helps you work through any overwhelm you are facing, whether it's because of the holidays or other things that are going on in your life, and that this is a safe place for you to get the help that you need, but without it becoming another source of pressure and shame in your life, because we have enough of that already. Thank you so much for listening. Now go and do something with what you learned today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.